This podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Diana, Texas. If you're in East Texas, you can gather with us on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. You can find more episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on our website, www.fbcdiana.org. Thanks for listening. Out of Jonah chapter 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we see the progress in Jonah's life when he decided to move away from the Lord. The progress was down, down, down. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The uh, Hebrew right there for the ship threatened to break up was personifying the ship uh, as a person. And the, the, the word literally says is the, the, the ship felt herself uh, coming apart. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, uh, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? I don't know about you, but when I'm in a ship that's about to break up, that's the first thing I want to do is I want to interview everybody like this. And I want him to answer all of these questions thoroughly. What we're getting here is a picture of the atonement of Christ where Jonah would be the scapegoat. He would be the one which uh, the lot falls on for the pagan sailors to cast him overboard so they would receive peace from the sea. So he was going to make atonement for them by his life. But it said, um, so they asked him all these questions and he said to them one thing. He said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It's another thing you want to do if you're in a bad storm. In a big ship that's coming apart, you want to get back to dry land. So it smashes you against the dry land, right? Therefore, they call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have 
done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we uh, come to you this morning um, uh, just asking for you to act uh, according to your word, Father, in our lives. We uh, ask that we would be able to see the glorious truths that are in your word, Lord, and love them, God, and help us to see ourselves in this and help us to see you in this as the great Savior and King, God, and help us to order our lives aright um, as we see uh, here where your word uh, gives us conviction, Lord, and correction. I pray that um, it would be in such a way that uh, you would uh, provide another correction to our course, Father. That's uh, uh, one reason, great reason, why we uh, sit in this building today, Father. So we come and we sit under the Word, and uh, each time we sit under the Word, you provide uh, a, a bit of correction to our course to keep us on the narrow path to the narrow gate of salvation, Father, and sanctification and Christ-likeness. So we provide, uh, we ask that you would uh, provide another course correction for us today as a people, Lord. As we've been in, out in the world this week, um, God, as we have sinned this week, as we have done things that have not been pleasing to you, we've been prideful, we've acted in uh, harsh ways perhaps, ways that are not uh, becoming to a child of God, we come here to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And we just ask that uh, you would provide for that need through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, I want to talk about Jonah. Um, I want to talk about several things in the book today, um, but mainly I want to provide you some of the context for Jonah because without some of the context for Jonah, it's a very difficult book uh, to understand. It sounds easy enough. You know, we all grew up in Sunday school coloring uh, the well that ate Jonah and that I can remember growing up in a, a Southern Baptist church in Northeast Texas. Uh, my uh, best remembrance of Jonah in the nursery was uh, don't be bad or a big fish will eat you or something like that. So, um, and it's not a, it's not a bad lesson, it's not a wrong lesson maybe, but it's not what the, not what the scripture teaches. We always, I think we understand many times the well as, as menacing. And at times, uh, you know, I've read and seen in my storybooks when I was a child, Jonah, like we've, I think we've all seen that picture of him like gasping for air and trying to swim on top of the sea. And this fish, you know, right at the shore, like at the waterline, just about to take him down. And um, I want you to know that the, the fish is God's salvation to Jonah. The, 
The sea is death, and it was always understood as death to the Hebrew people. And it was God who sent the salvation and form of the fish. He prepared it. Uh, in fact, the major part of Jonah is this, is that uh, all throughout the book, God uh, prepares a fish. He sends a wind. He prepares a tree. He sends a wind. He sends a worm. And He's commanding all of creation and telling creation what to do. And then we have Jonah, a prophet of God, is the only creature or element in God's creation in this book that would look at God and say, I will not do it. Everything else that God directed went. Jonah went the other way. And that is a major theme of this book. But Jonah's a book about believers for believers. The intended audience is us, church, not that you can't Uh, preach the gospel out of Jonah, but it is a message to God's covenant children. This is not about God calling out a sinner in need of foundational saving grace. That's not the story. This is about a child of God who hears and believes the voice of God, but doesn't like his plan. And say that again, it's about a child of God who hears God say something that he knows and believes is going to happen, but he, since he doesn't like God's plan, he goes the other way. It was because Jonah believed God that he disobeyed. It's kind of a, a thin slice in, uh, of our Christian lives here. He doesn't like what God is going to do. So it's not a book about a bad man who's not responsive to God's commands. On the contrary, Jonah was very responsive to God's commands. He ran the other way. It didn't, he didn't sit there and stay and say, well, God can do it if he wants to, but I'm not going to go. No, he believed God in such a way that he knew God was going to do this, that he was going to make it hard for God to do it. He knew that when God spoke, God meant business. And we could all learn from Jonah on that point. Many uh, people are out there living their lives. And I dare say in uh, what we call the church these days, they're living in rebellion to God and in rebellion to his word. And one day they're going to end up at judgment and they're going to be called to account for every word. And it is uh, my fear that many are going to show up on judgment day thinking that God is going to bend his word. And give them and take their excuses and work with them uh, and their excuses. And I want you to know uh, that if that's you today, um, God is not going to bend his word. His word is going to be kept. I can assure you of that. You will not be able to negotiate with God about whether or not he meant what he said. We need to get that church. And I'm not talking today about getting in the Bible and following, like figuring out which rules to follow so that God would be pleased with you as a person. I'm talking about uh, begging the Lord for a heart change that would bring you to a place to where you love the word and therefore do it instead of following God because he's going to eat you with a fish, right? We want all of our obedience to be out of love for God, not rule following. Jonah knew that God meant what he said, and that's why he was responsive. This is why he ran. He never doubts God for one second in this book. And I want to show you that. I just want to tell you that. Go to uh, look over at chapter three, look over at chapter three. 
uh, verse 10. Now this will, this blows my mind every time I read this portion of the scripture, because here is a man who God uh, has revealed his plan to, and probably the greatest, uh, besides Pentecost, this is probably the greatest revival recorded in the scriptures that we have. And Jonah goes and he's a, eventually a part of this revival. And he's like, hey, you need to repent. And it's just like very few words, it seems like. And the whole city just ends up in sackcloth and ashes. Just, just terrible people uh, end up in sackcloth and ashes and repenting and crying out to the Lord. And Jonah's angry about it. He's angry. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did... How they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that uh, he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it pleased, displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? We don't get... Uh, that whole conversation of what Jonah said to God, but we know that this is a part of it. What did he say? That uh, that is why I made a haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do do you do well to be angry? So Jonah said, I ran because I knew. He was very responsive to God's commands. He was just responsive in the wrong way. Jonah ran because he didn't like what he knew God was going to do. Jonah understood things about God that we don't today. Uh, Jonah had a sure understanding that the nation that honors the Lord would be the strongest and most prosperous nation. He knew this. We follow the ways of the Lord. We commit our paths to the Lord. We will be the strongest nation out there. And it just so happened during this time, Israel was what? They were not following the ways of the Lord. A nation, Jonah knew that a, a nation that followed the Lord and that had repented and had, uh, had ceased from sin would be a nation where justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Any nation where man lives uh, in peace with his Creator is going to be a nation where man lives in peace with man. And it will always be. That's a universal truth and will always be. Jonah knew this, but we, church, I think we have forgotten so Jonah's defiance, it seems odd to us. Why did he run the other way? Why did he not care about these people? So, so many people today think that strength, peace, and safety lie in having the right politics. But I want you to know uh, that our hope today is not in the right politics, but it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we want morality? Absolutely, we want morality. Do we want a nation that bows the knee to Jesus Christ? Absolutely, we want a nation that bows the knee to Jesus Christ. Uh, but the avenue that we go down is not politics. The avenue we as believers go down is demonstrating and sharing the gospel with our neighbors. That is the, uh, uh, the only way that you're going to change a heart. So, 
Jonah knew that if Nineveh repented and humbled themselves before the Lord, they would be strengthened and they'd pose a threat to Israel. So uh, Assyria, Nineveh uh, was uh, the capital city of Assyria. And uh, if anybody knew anything about Assyria in these days, it was just seen to be hell on earth, just a, a wicked, wicked place. Israel at this time was wandering from God's commands, and it was only a matter of time before God would raise up another nation to discipline them. This is how God dealt with Israel uh, in the Old Testament. And we all, hopefully we all know this. We see that they would uh, say, yes, Lord, we will obey. They're just like you in your personal life. Yes, Lord, I will obey. And then two weeks pass. And then you're out here on the spot. You're not doing what is pleasing to the Lord. And then what happens? You come back. It's like, yes, Lord, I will obey. You get back out on that limb and come back and forth, back and forth. But God would raise nations up to take them into captivity to discipline them with. So uh, the context of this book is not about Jonah not believing God. It is about him believing God and hating his plan because it stood against his love for his country. Idolatry. Idolatry at the very root of what it is. And um, God is so good, church. Listen, God is so good that in our own lives, um, that whatever idolatry that you and I have as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, God is very kind to tear those idols down. And so I want you to see in Jonah that God is doing a great kindness to Jonah. Man, how patient God is with Jonah just to teach him and teach him and teach him. And God never really just just, just like went scorched earth and killed him. He was gentle with Jonah. He was gentle with him and he's the same with us, church. When we have things that we value more than God and God takes them away or disciplines or opens our eyes through pain and suffering about what uh, what we are worshiping besides him, God has been good in that. He's been good in that. Jonah's nationality had become his identity and he treasured his race above God. Jonah understood clearly the word of the Lord and he was resistant because it might bring about judgment for his country. And he didn't want to be a part of uh, his country being judged. He was a prophet of the Lord. He was the son of Amittai, which is the, what the first verse in this chapter says, which gives us a historical clue about Jonah's character. Some believe that Jonah is a parable. Oh, it's a parable. Um, and uh, it just tells us this good story. In fact, uh, when I began to study Jonah a couple months ago, one of the main first things that I had to do is I had to go into, um, there are certain rabbis that are kind of like in charge of teaching in the United States. I don't know if you, you guys know this, but it's kind of like the Catholics where they have these main guys that they look to and they give them the uh, biblically, biblically orthodox teaching of the Bible uh, as far as the, uh, the Torah goes. And so I had to go to them and I'd listen for hours I'd, because I had to know what they make of Jonah without Christ and without the gospel. Because let me tell you, if you remove Christ from Jonah, Jonah disappears. Like Jonah is just not here and there's no reason for this book to be here. And I thought, how in the world, if you remove Christ, would you ever teach this book? And I went and I listened and it was basically, you need to be good and be kind to your neighbors or God is going to eat you with a fish. That's what it was. Um, 
But some people believe Jonah's a parable, that it's not historical, but that's absolutely false. Jesus mentioned Jonah and confirmed it to be historical. In Matthew 28, we all remember that time when the Pharisees, they came to Jesus and they said, give us a sign. Give us a sign. Show us something so we can place our belief and our trust in you. Uh, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them and he said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I don't think when Jesus is trying to talk to these Pharisees about his death, his atoning death and resurrection, that he would point to a parable. I just I don't think I don't think that's possible. Um, he says the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was resistant to the word of God. He walked up and just threw a Bible at him and walked out. Right. And Jesus came just valuing and loving and and sharing the gospel and just giving himself to people and they reject him. If you will, turn with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings, chapter 14, 2 Kings, chapter 14, and verse 25. Here we have evidence that Jonah was a prophet of God who came soon after Elisha, and he came during the reign of a wicked Jeroboam the second. So second Kings in chapter 14, let's look at verse starting verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and he reigned 41 years and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. So I want you to see here. Uh, that Jonah spoke the word of the Lord to Jeroboam II, this wicked king of northern Israel. And he wasn't afraid to speak this word uh, that called for the restoration of Israel's borders. Now, uh, this is the only prophecy that we have in Scripture that Jonah gave. And it is this. It is a protective order for his nation. This made Israel safe from outsiders. So let's remember this as well. Jonah had received and delivered at least one prophecy that was a protective measure for his nation. And it is the only prophecy given to you and I. It's the only clue that we have uh, in Scripture as to what Jonah prophesied. This very well may have filled him with a national pride and a sense that he was a great 
protector of his country. He, um, you know, you get a sense in this passage, you know, back then wicked kings aren't like uh, wicked kings are uh, uh, today. Uh, uh, today, I guess these guys would be more in line with like a North Korean dictator where if they didn't like what you said, like they would just kill you. Like you'd walk in and, and they would just get rid of you. But Jonah wasn't afraid uh, of anything. He wasn't afraid to go in and speak to this wicked king. He wasn't afraid of what men could do to him. And we'll even get a notion, like you'll even get a notion as you continue to read through Jonah, that he's not even afraid of death itself. It doesn't really bother him. We see him sleeping when the ship was, she was about to break up and Jonah was down there asleep. In fact, uh, what we read earlier um, when the, 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 this little book is so packed full of like big truths and big ironies. So here we have Jonah asleep in the bottom of the ship when it's about to break up and everybody die on board in the middle of the thousand mile trek across the Mediterranean Sea. And this pagan captain of the ship runs down to Jonah and he uses the exact words that God used when he called him to go to Nineveh. He said, arise, you sleeper, arise. Here's the pagan telling this man like to get up and call out to your God on our behalf. And Jonah uh, um, got up and there was all this ensuing, uh, these ensuing questions. And then uh, Jonah only gave a one sentence answer that we're aware of here. But listen, it's a very pronoun- uh, profound answer. Those pagan sailors ask him, like, who are you? Where are you from? Uh, what is your business? Blah, blah, blah. And what did Jonah say? He said, I'm a Hebrew. Son of the living God who created the heavens and the earth. So the word there that he used for Hebrew for Hebrew was Ebri. Do you know what that means? That means um, passed over ones. He said, who are you? What people are you from? Uh, what do you mean, you sleeper? And Jonah, uh, Jonah got up and he said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm one of the passed over ones. There is no doubt that uh, maybe in Jonah's mind, he was thinking of uh, the, the worldwide flood in which God had preserved them. Uh, Moses in this basket in the Nile that God had preserved. Uh, the homes with the lentils smeared with lamb's blood where that death angel passed over them. The dry land of the Red Sea that they walked through the dry path across the Jordan River. And now this fish and Jonah just confidently looks at him and says, I'm a passed over one. And so this is why I sleep. All he knew was that God would always do what he said he was going to do. And Jonah loved obeying God's word, but only when it suited his nation. So, but when God's word seemed to put his nation at risk, his loyalty was challenged. So he ran. His love for country won out and proved Jonah to be an idolater. So his problem was with God's intention to save Gentiles in Nineveh. This was a problem that the Old Testament prophets had many times. The Old Testament people and even the New Testament people was that God would save anyone outside of the nation of Israel. That that his plan, according to uh, Genesis 12, was global. They uh, failed to see that where God said he would go through Abraham and he would bless all the nations of the world and his salvation would come to all the nations of the world. 
Now, if you want to look about how atonement and salvation came to these people before Christ gave his life, then I'm going to have to send you back to the books and you study that and you, you know, you find out that about, uh, for yourself. But, uh, God's plan was global. Also important to the context of this little book is the fact that Amos was Jonah's contemporary. And he had prophesied that God would punish Israel for her immorality. Remember this? Uh, Amos said that you've gotten rich and fat and wealthy and you've forgotten about the poor. So God is going to raise up another nation and he is going to punish you with them. In the minor prophets, that nation is identified as Assyria, of which Nineveh was the uh, capital. So here is God saying, I'm about to punish you with this nation. Now you go preach repentance to that nation and strengthen it with all the power of God. And you can begin to see the conflict that Jonah had in his mind. So he tells him to go preach salvation to a group of Gentiles who Jonah believed weren't even included in the covenant of God. A group of Gentiles that he was pretty sure God intended to use to punish his beloved nation and lead them into exile. The choice was this. The choice was God or country. But this prophet had to learn, as we have to learn in every new generation, that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he will condemn who he condemns. And this is something that we really need to take to heart, church, in our day, in our time, is that God loves the wicked. God has a heart for the wicked. When Jesus came, he said, I didn't come for the well. I didn't come for the holy. I didn't come for the ones who could act right. I came for the wicked. And hopefully you know this because you know yourself. That Jesus came for people like me, who can only walk a straight line for about three hours and then I'm off on the side and I'm back repenting again. He came for us, church, for the errant sheep, not the self-righteous. And I want you to know that in Jonah's time, this was a scandal. And in our time, this is a scandal. It means this. It means the people you disagree with most, the people who you see fighting against God's cause the most, people who you see God uh, fighting against our nation and our Christian principles out there. They're fighting against this like moral, like God loves them and is sending you to them. He loves them and is sending you. He wants you to pray you to pray for them. He wants you to love them and he wants you to go to them. He has a heart for them, not for you to sit back and wag your head at them, but to go because he loves them deeply and desires to bring all his children in. From the very beginning, God told Abraham that he intended to use him to bless all the nations. God's plan has forever been global, not national, but it was hard for people like Jonah to stomach this. The name Jonah, uh, it means dove, uh, which is full of meaning for you uh, Bible studiers. I'm not going to jump into that now, but he was one of the very few that had the privilege of hearing clearly the voice of God 
and what God intended to do among the nations of the earth. So that's what I want you to see here, that Jonah had was a man of great privilege. He had a great character. He had a great belief in God, but he did not like God's plan. He disagreed with him. So we've seen the evidence in Second Kings that he was a true prophet since he, what he said was fulfilled. During our day and time, we have these prophets that will come to you and they'll tell you that you'll eat breakfast tomorrow and then you eat breakfast tomorrow and then you're just like, a tear rolls down your face. I can't believe like, that the Lord would be so kind as to reveal to me that I would have breakfast tomorrow. These are the kind of prophets uh, that you have, church, that sum up uh, 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 things with vague generalities and throw them out uh, at you. But I want you to know that is not was not the character of the prophets in the Old Testament times. In the Old Testament times, it was specific prophecies directed in, in uh, specific ways. And if those prophecies didn't come true, they were going to get stoned to death, beginning with small, sharp rocks that would break your teeth up into the big, heavy rocks that killed you. Stoning was about suffering. These prophets were different, church. They spoke clearly and without hesitation knowing that if their prophecy proved false, they would be stoned to death. No one uttered a a prophecy carelessly in those days. And it was a great privilege. Jonah had this great privilege of being a mouthpiece of God. So the background of Jonah's life was this. It was, it was great privilege. It was great obedience. It was great. Uh, he was a champion of, for the cause of Israel, restoring the borders. It would be like in our day and time, it's like Governor Greg Abbott. Some people see him as going down there. We're going to restore the wall ourselves. And they look at uh, Jonah and the whole the nationalism thing. They're like, yes, restore the borders. Make us safe. Jonah is the hero. And then it's kind of akin to God saying, okay, now go tear the borders down. Jonah was a man with rich spiritual blessings, hearing the word of his father, experiencing great fellowship and a sense of purpose. But now in the book that bears his name, we see that despite all of his past obedience, his past championing the cause of Israel, he is a man who stumbles and falls and sins. So this week, church, this week after hearing this background and context of Jonah's life and this book, I want you to remember that the blessing of the Lord is not about your past obedience. And you want to you want me to give you some good news? Uh, that kind of hits hard, right? Like God's blessing today does. I can't just carry on saying, oh, I've been a good, obedient person in the past. Um, That hits kind of heavy. But let me tell you what uh, is very encouraging, that God's blessing on you in your future also does not depend on your disobedience in the past. So uh, we've got a clean slate. God is very merciful and kind, and he's not back here making a check mark for every time you obey and every time you disobey. God is interested in the here and the now and a consistent faithfulness coming out of your life today. The blessing of the Lord is not about your past obedience or disobedience or how successful you've been in the past. It's not about how close we used to be to God. I think a lot of uh, 
people in the church today that are thinking about this. And I actually had a woman say this to me um, years ago. I can remember serving in a church and she came to me uh, and she was about, I don't know, about 50 years old. And I can remember saying to me at one time um, that, okay, we have taken care of this church. We've done good by this church. We've served tirelessly in this church. And now it is time for us to sit back and relax. And now we're going to hand the reins to you and you're going to do all this. You're going to start to uh, operate the church. And that is not what our life should look like. Our lives should look like continual obedience to God. In fact, um, in our day and time, and, it, and, and I'm so happy to see this here in this church, is that it is the older crowd that kind of has these reins and they're coming along and they're encouraging the young ones. That's really unheard of in the church today. It's not um, so uh, 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 in the church today. I go into some and I can see that uh, the young people come in and they're so excited about doctrine and so excited about being obedient to the Lord and and, and living and worshiping in a church that fits God's uh, command and his scriptures. And then their love and, and for God quickly outgrows the elderly in the, and, and soon the elderly don't even know what doctrine these youngins are talking about when it is good doctrine of the Bible. Uh, but in this church, I see uh, it is different. And I, I just commend you on that church. I think that is like so valuable in our day and time. Um, when I was young, when I was a teenager growing up in the church, I didn't need a kid leading me. Uh, I didn't need a kid uh, feeding me pizza and leading me. Uh, I can look back now and kids are not going to ask for this, right? And they're not, they're going to say they don't want it. But the younger kids, they need the older folks in the nursery, in the children's department, uh, all throughout the church, uh, leading in that way. So I just say all that to say it's not about how close you once were to God. The greatest blessings of God produce the most fruit when they're met with continuing obedience. We've got to continue to be obedient to God, especially when it doesn't meet our ends. This is what the Bible is about. The Bible is about correcting your path on a daily basis. When you come to the Bible and God tells you uh, what he does is he tells you to do things that you don't want to do. He tells you to do things that are very uncomfortable for you to do. He's going to move you to do those things. And then we change and we change with God to get the blessing. We follow him and we obey him. Many of you may be trying to drink out of a dry spiritual well that you dug in your earlier days. You may be looking at a back at a time in your life when you walked joyfully with the Lord, enjoying his presence with a clear conscience. Oh, yes, I've been there. I've enjoyed the presence of the Lord with a clear conscience. But I want you to know that's not how God works. God demands, he demands a continuing obedience to him. Now, that sounds heavy, too, that God demands this continued rigorous obedience to him. But I want you to know uh, that it is not heavy because God provides sanctification for his children. So he's going to empower you to continue in that obedience. What God commands, God provides. So that's how he can say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Because he's going to do such a work in your life that's going to bring you to a place that loves that where you love 
him. He's not going to tell you to do something and then not provide the power for it, church. That's not how he works. He's a very gracious God. Jonah had received the word of the Lord and all of his past obedience would not excuse him to run from God. This time in the first few verses of this book show that Jonah is no longer who he once was. So let's recognize the practical importance. Before we go, I want you to recognize this practical importance of asking some questions here based on what we've seen in Jonah's life. Am I only living with past memories of obedience in my life? Am I hobbling along and calling forth like past obediences in my life uh, to give to God instead of being obedient today? That's always a good question to ask. Am I substituting my past spiritual record for the responsibility of present submission to the will of God? Past privileges and blessings, church. Listen, you're, if, you're, if you're living that way, if you're living so I was really obedient to God at one point in my life, and therefore God is going to bless me, God is going to keep me on His path, God is going to do this, do that, do the other. I want you to know, if that is you today, all of your past obedience is doing is serving to heap condemnation upon you today for not being obedient. That's all it, that's all it does, church. We need to take to heart that it's one thing to begin, it's another thing to continue, and it is another thing to finish the race that God has set before us. Our neighbors are depending on it. Pagan, you know, this pagan captain waking Jonah up in the boat, crying out, arise you sleeper. Listen, our times are growing so dark and the world is beginning to cry out. They're looking into the church. A lot of accusations against the church are... Um, unfair. They're unfair, but there are some fair ones. When a church, when the world begins to look at the church and say, give us some answers. Like we don't know. Look, the world is going haywire. There's disease. There's war. There's all these things looking into the church. Where are you at church? Where are you at church? God wants to use you in this wicked age. So we must continue to trust, believe, and repent and live in this obedience, following God wherever He leads. Let's pray. We trust that this message edified the listener and glorified the God who shows love and mercy to sinners in the person and work of Jesus Christ, His Son. Would you take a moment to leave a positive rating for us on your podcast app? You'll be helping others find this episode and more like it. If you'd like more information about First Baptist Diana, then please visit our website, www.fbcdiana.org.